Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. This is WSBT's Community Update on 96.1 WSBT. Good morning, I'm John Hoffman. St. Joseph County Deputy Health Officer Dr. Mark Fox explains the latest on the coronavirus pandemic in a visit to WSBT 22's First in the Morning this past Monday. Johnson & Johnson is back in distribution. What kind of impact is that going to have locally, do you think? You know, our use of J&J really has been pretty modest in the county to this point. There are several different pop-up clinics that are, are planned actually for about a month from now, late May, um, that will rely on Johnson & Johnson. So it's good to have it back in the mix and available for those events because those one-and-done events are the perfect setting for it. Are you concerned that people are not going to gravitate toward that, especially women in that magic age group 18 to 49? You know, I think there's a, a group of people with some vaccine hesitancy, kind of the wait and see group, that they likely will continue to wait and see on this. Um, I don't think that's necessary across the board. I do think, as you suggested, there's a group of younger women um, that they may want to gravitate towards a different option. Okay. Let, let's talk about a way that the county is now going to track vaccines from this point forward and how that might impact your ability to better target some of those areas where you have lower numbers of people vaccinated. Yeah, so we have worked with the, the city's Office of Innovation and Technology and, and Focus and a group called Delivery Associates. They've helped put together a dashboard that includes data on COVID cases, deaths, and vaccination. But it's really the vaccine data that is probably driving decision-making as much as anything at this point. And it includes analysis by zip code. Um, and so we can identify areas with lower... Um, lower proportion of the population that's been vaccinated so we can target outreach efforts. You know, in the city of South Bend, we've seen particularly among the Hispanic and, and black communities, there's been lower uptake, but also in kind of the southern part of the county, the Walkerton area, um, there's been less uptake of the vaccine there as well. So really trying to develop different strategies to address those areas. So do you anticipate that you will branch out from the current St. Hedwig's location, which is already on, on the, the near west side anyway, where you can access perhaps some of the, the lower income uh, in, in the Hispanic area on the west side of South Bend? You thinking about making maybe a, opening a clinic down in Walkerton as well? Well, we're looking at the feasibility of at least doing some pop-up clinics in that area because transportation has been identified as one of the barriers. Okay. Uh, talk about specifically how local cases are going right now. It seems like the state of Indiana as a whole seems to be somewhat steady. Yeah, we, you know, we're up about 50% from where we had been a month or so ago, probably a little more than a month ago now. But it feels like we've plateaued a little bit, just under 100 Um in fact, we're probably in the mid-90s now, uh, new cases per day. So we'd gone up to about 105 two weeks ago, and, and now we've kind of leveled off again. So we're holding steady there. It's not driving down the way that we are still hoping to see. Speaking of plateaued, it's interesting you use that word because uh, some of the national health experts are concerned that we may have 
plateaued in our vaccination rate. Are you feeling that same concern in us in this area? Yeah, um, certainly the the pace of uptake has has leveled off. You know, we have 30 vaccine sites available across the county, so there's a lot of appointments, a lot of vaccine available, and, but we're not seeing that continued rise in vaccination rate. So. I think all the people who really were eager to get the vaccine have now had their chance at least to get their first shot. So now we've got to address that wait and see group um, and really drive them to get vaccinated. Do you have a magic answer for that? Bob, if I did, I wouldn't be sitting in this chair, you know? <laughs> I would, I'd be pulling policy levers somewhere else. No, um, you know, I think there are a lot of different concerns that come into it based on both age and how people do the risk calculus. There are, you know, historic and, and racial factors that drive it. There are a lot of different elements that drive it, so there's not any simple solution to fix any of those concerns. So what's going to be the impact? If, if we top out at, say, 50% uh, ultimately vaccinated, or maybe 60% best case scenario maybe, uh, what's, what's going to be the impact on how long COVID sticks around in this area? It's going to stick around for a long time. You know, it may bubble along at kind of a, a tolerable, inconvenient level. It's not going to really be as safe as we would all hope. Does that also open the door for more variants? Absolutely, yeah. The more that it's bubbling up in the community, the more opportunity for variants to take hold, and that's the big risk. Uh, I wanted to ask you one final question, and it's about masks and people who have been vaccinated. Some folks are saying, listen, I, I'm fully vaccinated. The people I hang out with are fully vaccinated. Why do I have to continue to wear a mask when I'm inside? If you know you're only with those people, so if, the, if you're in their home or they're in your home, go for it. Um, if you're outside, go for it. If you're in a restaurant, if you're in a public place with people and you don't know their vaccination status, people still need to wear a mask in those settings because, you know, we're at this somewhere between 25 and 40 percent of the community maybe has been vaccinated. We've got a ways to go. Are, are, you, are you wearing a mask in a restaurant, for example, because of your own protection or are you doing it because of, of a cultural shift that, or a change that you want to continue to, to enforce that people should be wearing masks inside? Am I trying to protect myself if, if I'm fully vaccinated? Yeah, it's less about protecting you, and masks have always been more about protecting your neighbor than about protecting yourself, although it does offer some benefit for yourself. Again, we know that even people who are fully vaccinated can still become infected. They're not likely to go to the hospital, they're not likely to die, um, and they're not likely to infect as many other people. But we have seen people fully vaccinated who have become infected. Deputy Health Officer Dr. Mark Fox on WSBT 22's First in the Morning. Many employers here and across the country are dealing with a worker shortage. And one of the tough things about that is that some workers want everyone they work with to be vaccinated, while others are still hesitant about it. WSBT 22's Selena Guevara takes a look at the legalities. I contacted several local employers for this story, and all of them were hesitant to even talk about it, in part because they're still trying to figure out what they're going to do. Doug Small has been practicing employment law in South Bend for more than 30 years. He says whether you're going to a college or a workplace, they have every legal right to require you to get vaccinated. You're going there by 
your choice. There are exceptions for medical and religious reasons. The rules were written before the pandemic and apply to all shots. Some businesses do mandate a flu shot, but when it comes to COVID-19... There's a lot of unknowns still, and I think that's the main part. I think people don't want to react too early. Jeff Ray with the South Bend Chamber of Commerce works with local businesses as they navigate the pandemic. He says most of them want their employees to be vaccinated to prevent a COVID outbreak in their workspaces. Some are even offering incentives like bonuses or paid time off to get it, but they stop short of requiring it. What happens if we mandated it and then there was a problem uh, with it, then are, are we as a company responsible for it? Ray says since many local hospitals are not requiring a COVID shot yet, other businesses are looking to follow their lead. The fact that vaccines are under an emergency use authorization also gives employers pause. It's no less safe. From a medical standpoint, there is still extensive research for this authorization. It just gets shots into arms faster. The scientific review, it's limited in its scope, but it, all the same standards apply. From a legal standpoint. Since the shots are still under emergency use authorization, does that change anything? These issues have not been litigated before because this is all new ground. Small says he'd be shocked if the rules changed because of that. But safe as it may be, with the current labor shortage, employers don't want to dissuade skeptics from working for them. Competition is as fierce as it's ever been for workers, and so they want to do everything they can to retain that workforce. Greater South Bend Chamber of Commerce President Jeff Ray there. The incoming president of Indiana University was in South Bend this week to tour the IU South Bend campus. Pamela Witten met with faculty and students and says she was impressed by the campus. Witten will be IU's first female president when she takes office July 1st. She believes diversity and inclusion are the keys to a successful university and says students will be the main focus of her administration. I think that um, first and foremost, in all that we do in higher education, we need to think about students and we need to put them first and we need to, to bring them into the conversation about every decision that's made across any campus. Witten also toured the IU Northwest campus in Gary. WSBT 22's Todd Connor reporting. There will soon be new regulations for what you can and cannot plant if you live in South Bend. The Common Council this week approved an ordinance that would ban the planting of invasive species within city limits. If you've driven down just about any road this past month, you've likely seen these trees. They're called calorie pear trees or Bradford pear trees. Their bright white flowers have made them a favorite for decorative landscaping, but they also cause a lot of problems. In the South Bend area, it's a, it's a problem in natural areas, but it's not uh, yet as huge of a problem as it is in central Indiana. If you take a drive down US 31 around central Indiana, it's there are literally just seas of white trees on both sides of the road in many places. The pear tree is native to China in Southeast Asia. It blooms early in the year, giving it an advantage over other native plants. Steve Sass with South Bend's Ecological Advocacy Committee has been a key part of the ordinance the council will consider. It shuts off the flow of new species uh, coming in or new individuals coming in and so it's that's a really important first step is to you know stop the bleeding so to speak the ordinance doesn't just target the pear tree other plants like garlic mustard black walnut ash and silver maple trees would also be banned from being planted in the space between property lines and the street most of these species didn't come here by accident ecosystems are very balanced, delicately balanced things. And there's um, there's a lot to them that 
um, that the eye doesn't necessarily behold. Lots of things, uh, growth inhibitors that are in the soil and insects that are eating these things in their native places that uh, don't exist. The pear tree is not banned at the state level because of the possible impact it could have on the nursery industry. But SAS hopes this new ordinance will encourage other local municipalities to follow suit and help stop the spread of this very pretty yet damaging tree. Even with just stopping the planting of these invasive species, SAS says it could take years, if not decades, to get some of them under control. WSBT 22's Max Lewis reporting. Groundbreaking research and development at Notre Dame might change the way prosthetic limbs are developed. We spoke to a professor who's helping make it possible. This is a project that's been in development for about a year and a half now, and it's already in the prototype stage. After that, hopefully helping those who need it very soon. It's really hard to 100% replicate biological function, but we're getting really close. Patrick Wensing is an aerospace professor at Notre Dame's College of Engineering. He's one of many researchers at the university developing a special kind of artificial limb. The overall goal of the research that I do is to blur the lines between ability and disability. Grad students like Ryan Posh are a part of that development, and the artificial limb is one that's created to do things that normal limbs can't like standing on tiptoes or walking up steps with ease. The devices that we're working on are uh, powered prosthetic limbs that have motors and batteries on board to help provide positive, uh, positive work, to help you to get upstairs, uh, or just to help reduce your energy requirements when walking on the ground. Other places like Indiana University and the University of Michigan are also working on this, but Notre Dame's research is unique. In terms of are looking at how to use these these muscle firing sensors to put the human more in control of their limb in a way that isn't isn't taxing that's individually ours the project is expected to be completed by next year and once it's ready to go wensing is a pretty nice payoff in mind i can't wait to see that day and i think whatever my reaction is it'll be a tiny fraction of of that person that we're helping and so yeah uh I can't wait. Now, Wensing was able to show me different types of machines that helped make this a possibility, including a moving robot. Just a small part of the dedicated research going on over at Notre Dame. WSBT 22's Miles Garrett reporting. Some major changes are coming to the Morris Performing Arts Center in South Bend. The theater kicked off its Morris 100 campaign this week, unveiling several new upgrades for the century-old theater. Among them, a new parking garage, brand new seats, a new building with classrooms and an expanded lobby and a reimagined plaza outside. The Morris 100 campaign is an effort to raise $30 million for projects and upgrades for the theater. Mayor James Mueller says the project wouldn't be possible without the support of council members. This is a treasure in the heart of South Bend that survived good times and bad times. You know, when they came and said, the team came and said, hey, we're, we're thinking about a $30 million project for the Morris, our level of ambition continues to go up, which is a great thing. Over half the $30 million is already raised, and the public fundraising campaign starting now looks to find the rest. The Morris celebrates 100 years in the heart of downtown South Bend next year. The views expressed on WSBT's community update are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of the host, WSBT Radio, its staff or management. Join us again next week on Community Updates on the Sports Leader, 96.1 WSBT. 
Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 